for this afternoon from the Word of God, and I'll begin with uh, preface before reading the passage, Luke 10, 25 through 37, and that is uh, called the Office of Love. That's what I called it. And in reading a book, which I'll share with you shortly, passage, he calls it that too, long before I came up with that title for this sermon. And it's speaking about the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, the issue was, uh, who is one's neighbor? And our Lord made it plain that uh, the one who is true neighbor, according to the context of this, is the one who loves. The one who, can I say, does the work of a deacon. James says, or calls it, pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He also goes on to call such a one a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He said, but be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving your own selves. I contend that this is an excellent example of what we call deacon. It's uh, English derivative of the Greek word for deacon in the scriptures. In fact, let me read to you first from Mark's, Mark chapter 10, Mark 10, 43 through 45. This is again in preface to our sermon. So Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. <coughs> and so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. That word minister is not like myself. It is the Greek word for deacon. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, deacon as it were, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so let us uh, now read from Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. So turn to it, our text. <clears throat> and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves 
which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, I'm going to stop right now and pray for Joe. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask for your mercy to be upon our brother. We are so thankful for your work in his life and for his faithfulness, Lord, to your church. We do pray for him right now that you would uphold him and strengthen him, keep him. If, Lord, he requires attention from uh, the medical uh, doctors that he would receive that and that Lord you would spare his life that you would bring him through this particular bout or trial at this time and that you would do so for your glory for his good and for that Lord of Estella and his mother and other loved ones all this we pray and also for our good too as we are part of the family of God of which he is indeed a I've been a vital member for many years. In Jesus' name, amen. Continuing in the reading of God's word. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He... And showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. O oh Lord, we ask your blessing upon your word which was just read. We ask your blessing upon your word which we will hear also based upon this portion that you have provided for our partaking. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. <coughs> There are three telltale signs of a deacon from this passage, and I'm using this parable of love, as I also call it, uh, as a basis for showing the, the works of one who would fulfill this role. And, and mind you, as we noted in a previous study, that the office of deacon didn't come first. God didn't institute an office and then, and then there it was open for business, but rather to meet a pressing, already pressing need. He provided for men who were doing that work, but in a more organized and, and biblical and God-centered fashion that would be to the glory of Christ and his church. So there are three telltale signs of a deacon from this passage, and they are first, this. That the Good Samaritan, as he has been called, came to him out of concern. It says in verse 33, 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, it's true, there was one, the Levite, that also came up to him. But so did he. So did the Good Samaritan. It is so easy to look the other way, is it not? Which that Levite also did eventually upon his seeing that person and deciding that I'm going to move on. After all, it's not a safe place in the middle of nowhere. Actually, it's the Badlands that are located about 17 miles between Jericho and Jerusalem. What if something happened to me? I got to get to my destination. I'm in a hurry. I had that happen one time when I saw someone actually fall. But thankfully, there are people around there. But you know, as they think about it, should I have gone ahead? I, I still think about that. Someone else will come along after all. But if you're the one in whom the Spirit of God is at work, something inside you says, if not me, who? And if not now, when? If I'm called to love my neighbors myself, and I don't do it now, when will I ever do it? When will I ever do what God calls for me to do? And what about him? He's another human being like myself. And the more you think about it, the more you realize that you're not just doing it for yourself, but for a living soul made in the glorious image of God. Genesis 1.27, it states, For God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. Note that last part, especially in our time. And then as you think about it even more, you know that you do it as unto the Lord and not only unto men. As our Lord talks about in another passage in Matthew 25. So keep your finger on Luke 10, Matthew 25. He says in verse 37... Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Or, as in this case, injured on the side of a road and came unto thee? And the answer, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. We are not to exclude anyone in the kingdom. It is not a numbers game. It is not trying to get the most number of people here and in hopes that there will be some that will stay, though perhaps most will leave. It's not that at all. It's not that whatsoever. Because every soul counts. The very action of coming to someone in time of need is significant. Especially someone who is especially someone who has not been shown himself that same kindness, but in fact the very opposite by that one he is now endeavoring to assist. And after all, is that not the real test of our Christianity? 
Never would you have done so, but for the love of Christ. Am I correct? Even as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. So tender is our Lord's interest in our temporal needs, yes, our bodies, not just our souls, that he considers what is done unto one of the least of his brethren as done unto him. And that includes ourselves as well. Because after all, we're all the same way. We're just children that are literally being led by the hand of our Heavenly Father and our loving Savior and, and the Holy Spirit. Who would dare say then that the office of deacon is unimportant? Or should I say being a deacon? Because that's how it starts. Secondly, the Good Samaritan had compassion on this individual that was left, as the scriptures describe him, half dead. He's on the way. He's on the way. Verse 33, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The word for compassion is this very long and hard to pronounce word, but I'll, I'll try to pronounce it. Splag chinizomai. Sounds almost like Chinese. <laughs> or some dialects in the Philippines. Splag cheese. See, I can't even pronounce it again. It means to feel sympathy. It means to have pity. It means to have what Paul calls bowels of mercy, as if your bowels themselves, and some of us have had intestinal issues of late, and we know how important our bowels are, as important as anything else in our bodies. Um, to be moved with compassion is really the whole point. To be moved with compassion, not just to be moved and then move away, but to have compassion on that person in need. And if those others, the priest and the Levite, which obviously did not have compassion, had compassion, they sure didn't show it, did they? And how do we know? Because though one came to him, they both passed away or passed by him. And what could be the reason for that? I mean, there's got to be some reason. There's always a reason, right? There's always some mitigating reason. There's always a um, reason, whether it's a perceived problem or issue or uh, sin or not. In the case of the Samaritans and the Jews, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They were taboo. They counted them like, their, like all of their purely Gentile counterparts. Gentile means the nations. So in other words, the rest of the nations of the world, they counted them just like them, dogs. Dogs. Remember Christ's uh, episode with his feeding of this of the, of the or healing of the Syrophoenician woman and the feeding of her children, or the, her issue with the Jews or reaction to that issue of wondering, why would you, a Jew, have anything to do with us? And yet, he's, and yet he exhibited there, of course, a love for all people. 
And what's worse in this case is that these Samaritans were once full Jews who intermarried and thus contaminated their faith, their religion, their Jewry. And so they were, in essence, half-breed Jews. Like Orthodox Jews that disdain family members who convert to the Christian faith and become Messianic Jews. You've probably heard of that. Where they would even expel that one, excommunicate that one from the home. And there would be an empty spot at the table during the Passover, representing that loved one who is deceased for all intents and purposes. Let's not forget that the soul has no skin color. The soul has no social status. The soul has no religion. For we are all made in the image of God, as I said. As Luke would put it, and hath made one blood all nations of the of men on the earth to dwell on all the face of the earth. Paul says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. How shall the world know that we are of God if we don't show compassion? That's the one characteristic that stands out, that exudes them all. Because it is the in my estimation, the outward expression of God's love. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Lastly, the good Samaritan took care of him. He took care of him. He had compassion on him and he carried out in his taking steps that was necessitated by the condition of this man of departing from this present life. It says in verse 34 of Luke chapter 10. So turn back to it, would you please? And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's what he did. That's what he did. It says at the very end, and took care of him. Whatever was needed, he took care of him. Just like we take care of those that are in need, such as even our brother Joe at this particular time, even as David is taking him now probably to the doctor. And when necessary, he made sure others would step in to do whatever is needed to follow up with him. In other words, he did whatever it took to restore this man to better health. In the RCUS Directory of Worship, I'd like to read this to you because I, I think this is one of the best statements I've, I've read on, on the subject of, of the deacon. And it says, and this is in our directory of worship. Deacons are appointed to assist and support the pastor and elders in those services which apply to the material needs of the general household of faith. They have the honorable charge of caring for the poor and needy. Notice the honorable charge. And of making certain that the charities of the church are properly dispensed. 
That's their job. Their job is not to be trustees of the building or, or even uh, a treasure, although they do that. And they're doing all these other things, they also do that. But their primary task is, is what I've just read. Caring for the poor and needy of the church and even of the community. This is what we are seeing in our story. They are to aid in securing funds necessary for the support of the church in its various activities, and especially as related to diaconal or benevolent causes. That's what we call diaconal and benevolent causes. Fostering the principle of stewardship. That's very important. Some of us, when you come into the church, we're, we're like a, you know, a bull in a china shop. or you know, We have a lot of learning to do as far as uh, the matter of stewardship. Of, of our time and treasure and talent. And in this way, cultivating the spirit of liberal and cheerful giving. In discharging these duties, however, they must not lose sight of the true spiritual character of their office. For although the office of deacon may often be occupied with outward and temporal things, it nevertheless always remains a proper branch of the Christian ministry. And its purpose in all things can only be the eternal salvation of men in the world to come. It is for this reason that in the New Testament, so much stress is laid on the character and life of those who are called to participate in this work. They must be men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may be able, both by word and example, to help advance the great purpose of the gospel, making their services to the material necessities of the poor the occasion and means of a still better benefit to their souls. The Apostle Paul, writing on this subject in his first epistle to Timothy, expressly requires of deacons the same virtues which are qualifications for the office of elder. <clears throat> Very well put. And also the point of how everything is spiritual. Even this being a deacon to the people that are in need around us. Like in this case of this story of our Lord. Whatever it took, he spared no expense of his time and treasure and talents and tender loving care. And by the way, compassion and caregiving go hand in hand. And unlike the priests and Levites that did not care at all, they did not care at all, did they? At least not to this one. So their, their compassion and their caregiving was selective. And ours ought never to be that. And they did not come through. In John 10, the Lord speaks about uh, those that uh, are like that. He says in John 10, 13, The hireling fleeth because he is unhireling and careth not for the sheep. And yet if it was one of their congregation, would they have stopped? You better believe. You better believe they would have. Look at Matthew 5, 46 through 48. <clears throat> what our Lord has to say about selective compassion and selective caregiving. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
song we sang last week, which I intended for this message, but this message was postponed to today. Uh, reads, and I'm going to read it to you. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Maker's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts, and our cares. We share each other's woes, each other's burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. And how true that is. How true that is. But should it not also be for those out there? Because as much as lies in us, we are to care for those all around us. I came up, as I said, with this title long before I read uh, this in this book called The Glorious Body of Christ. And I might just mention briefly that this is a rare book. Not that it's not... Uh, in publication, but it was a gift to me by one of the older members of our, of our, well, my former church, and some of you that were in that congregation also, Dorothy Henyon, and she even put something inside it that I have to this day. And uh, so in it, uh, I'd like to read to you, uh, uh, and that was when I was serving as a deacon myself for almost 25 years. That's the length of time that I was in uh, the Puritan Evangelical Church of America. And so R.B. Kuyper says, and I'm just going to quote it from my notes, the diaconate is accurately described as the office of love. Great minds think alike. <laughs> the greatest of Christian virtues. This is not to say that love does not play an important role in the other officers in the church. It most certainly does. But Christian love comes to its most tangible expression in the office of the deacon. This office is preeminently that of love. Love is its beginning and its end, unquote. And I'd like to close with a, a story that I read on deacons from World War II. When during World War II, the Netherlands were occupied by Germans, the deacons of the Dutch Reformed Church, which is one of our sister uh, compatriots, assumed the care for the politically persecuted. Can you imagine that? Stick it out your, your neck for the politically persecuted. That would be like our try to do that now for those that are in jail as political prisoners. Huh. <laughs> but of course, you know, they, 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 they had the attitude of the Good Samaritan. They had the mind of Christ. As Paul says, put on the mind of Christ, in lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, esteeming the wealth of others better than one's own. Supplying food and providing secret refuge. You know about that, right? You know something of that history in the Netherlands. Realizing what was happening, the Germans decreed that the elective office of deacon should be eliminated. The Reform Synod on July 17, 1941 resolved. Whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hands on diaconia lays hands on worship. You see how strongly 
they felt about the importance of the church in its service in this way. Because the church ultimately is to be the Good Samaritan, even as our Lord is the Good Samaritan par excellence. In closing, I'd like to turn to 1 John 3, 16 through 18. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. First John 3, 16 through 18 reads, <clears throat> Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's where the rubber meets the road. That is where Christianity is defined in its, in its heightened moment in these perilous times. And this is what's going to make or break individual Christians and their testimonies, and this is what will make and break any of the local churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, on the basis of this account that I have given of the Good Samaritan, I contend and now maintain in the light of God's word that the diaconate is an office of love. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this parable, which in itself is glorious. Never mind how you use that in order to correct a young man, as I would picture him to be, of his error, of self-righteousness, and of his exclusivity, and his selectivity in whom he would do good. Oh Lord, have mercy on us all, as we all fall short. There's none of us that is righteous, no, not one. All of sin, come short of the glory of God. And that is why we thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For with the mind we serve the, the law of sin, but with the, I should repeat that again, for with the mind we serve the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, though with the flesh the law of sin. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.